I'm Dwayne Brummett, he's Ali Albarigo, and this is the School Owner Talk Podcast. Hello again, Dwayne Brummett here with Ali Albarigo, SchoolOwnerTalk.com. Uh, good morning, Allie. Nice to be with you, sir. Hey, good morning to you as well, Dwayne. Great to be online with you as always, you know, chatting and uh, talking about great topics. Yeah, and I appreciate you moving things around for me today. So uh, thanks for being flexible in your schedule. Yeah, no worry. I just saw someone popped up with a, like that they're on when they joined us and there's like a, a million hearts going through. So that's <laughs> awesome. Um, yeah, no, no worry. My schedule, I kind of schedule around, you know, those two things that I do, which is my Friday podcast, my Wednesday podcast, and I have a guitar lesson and a Japanese lesson. Those things are like literally set in stone for me, and I work my life around those things. Yeah, so uh, introduce what we're talking about today, sir, and then if you want to give a little backdrop to kind of why we decided to talk about this today. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that it's an interesting topic. I, a lot of times people enjoy this topic, you know, and um, I think it's could be controversial. Um, but one thing I, I here's really why I wanted to chat about it. I know that there's a new video of Steven Seagal circulating and um, it's interesting in how people perceive what the message is in the video. Like I have a few friends that are like, wow, it's amazing. I love what he was saying. You liked it. You watched it and you sent it to me. Right. And it, it's like, uh, and then there are others like, oh, believe, you know, I had a, a friend at, at breakfast say, I oh, believe that, you know, what he said is like, so stupid, you know, like, so like, I, I think about how um, the martial arts is and, and our topic is, you know, just, you know, the martial arts in general, not about business or how to run uh, a school, but, you know, just generally the martial arts. The other thing is, um, you know, the direction that the martial arts are going and, you know, understanding that there are things in the martial arts that are probably quite evasive and elusive and esoteric that are probably not even people on people's radar or awareness that I can feel like me personally, and people I know have been very privileged to be around certain things and um, that others will never see. And I, I wish that there was more of us that could get that message out there. That's, that's what, so this is what this topic is. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, for those of you that uh, have not seen the video, maybe we should probably pop that in the. Um, yeah. Cause I sent you two different ones, didn't I? Yeah. There's a, there's a part one and then there's a part two. Yeah, and the gentleman Jesse, I can't remember his last name, but he's Kemp, Kemp K E M P H. Yeah, he's the uh, what is he, the karate guru? Or what I forget what his channel yeah, is. Yeah, he's got a he's got a channel on YouTube, and um, I've seen a few of his videos, which is uh, you know, some of them are interesting. I think he's a kind of quirky, nerdy kind of guy. He's a fairly decent martial artist when it comes to um you know, like kickboxing, Muay Thai, even Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. There was another great video that he did where he went to Thailand and trained at Tiger, MMA, Tiger Muay Thai and MMA over there in Thailand. And uh, that was a great video to follow. And just to see how his, he was learning how his karate system uh, went up against Muay Thai and how he used the strategies of Muay Thai. And then he had to use his karate strategies because the Muay Thai was, that he learned was getting beaten by the Muay Thai expert. So he had to change strategies halfway through. And I thought that was pretty cool. I, I thought that, um, you know, I think that that kind of video, those TV shows are 
or YouTube channels are pretty amazing. Like yeah. there's another one by Frank Grillo. Have you ever seen that one where Frank Grillo, the star, he's like um, in uh, a ton of action films. He's a very famous actor. He, um, he had a show that he would go to different countries and he would train. And you know who also did an amazing show? Um, and a, a shout out to Roland Osborne. He had a TV show where he would go around the world and he'd train. Um, the film crew would follow Roland and he would go and he would train in uh, Korea with the Taekwondo masters and then Aikido in Japan and Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu in Brazil and Russia with the Spitzna and the military and Sistema people. Are you um, talking about the human weapon? No, no. Very similar to that. But Roland Osborne's show was, uh, I forget the name of it, but him and I, I just talked to him the other day on text and I'm like, dude, we should bring that show back. That was such a great show. I mean, I really, I, he sent me the DVDs and I watched them and they were all, well done um, and uh, traveling the world and getting a taste for all the different martial arts. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to type in the Steven Seagal and see a uh, new interview, Steven Seagal, uh, new interview. Well, it should be in your messenger too, because that's where I sent those. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, it's called uh, breaking down Steven Seagal's Aikido techniques and things like that. Uh, but it's by Jesse Kemp. Um, okay. Kemp, K A M P H. Let me find the link to it, so, and then uh, I will put it down. Yeah, go ahead. All right. So you had an opportunity to, or opportunities. I don't know if it's plural, uh, to work with Steven Seagal. Okay? Yeah. Um, I got to ask first and foremost, real deal no, or not? Totally, totally real deal. Okay. And, and by the way, I, I, let me give you some background of, you know, I, I saw his movie above the law in the movie theater and literally it was, it was what I'd been waiting for my whole life to see my art represented on screen wrist locks and throws and, you know, that kind of stuff. That's what I've always loved. Right. So I literally stood up in my seat and yelled out yes. And then realized that I was in a quiet movie theater and, and people were looking at me like a lunatic. And at that point, no joke, I swore that I would train with this man. And then I, I trained with him in a multitude of seminars, traveling to different places, upstate New York, uh, Colorado, multiple times and all these different things. And I, and I got a chance to kind of get slightly in his inner circle at points, you know, where at one point I did some security work where it wasn't, you know, not officially hired, but it was like, Hey, Ali, you stand over there. This is what your job is going to do. And, you know, if people talk to me too long, I don't want to ever be rude. So you just got to pull me away because he'll, he'll talk for hours to people about whatever they want. Like I never, I never realized until I spent some time with him, like what celebrities go through. Um, for example, like, a woman like in her 80s wheeled up in a wheelchair and she hands him a script that was like this thick that she'd been writing. And she's like, I want to be in your movie. It's the best script ever. And he'd be like, okay, let me, and he'd nicely take it and hand it to me and I'd hold it. And, you know, he would, she'd talk and he'd listen. And like, I'd have to, my job was to say, sensei, we got to get going because he would stay there with them. And he was, a, he seemed to be a really nice guy, always treated me really well. I know I hear horror stories, you know, he, you know, cheated on his wife. He did this. He, you know, some people like his stories with Jenny McCarthy, you know, about casting couches and all sorts of crazy things. All I can say is what I experienced with him in my personal life. And he blessed my, my uh, daughter when uh, she was unborn. You know, he, uh, people are not going to believe this, but this is an amazing story. Like we were at a big ceremony. He was doing a smoke ceremony, like a Buddhist blessing. 
So he went off into the forest or the, the woods of upstate New York and picked a whole bunch of herbs and, and then he would burn them and they would bellow in this white smoke, but it was smoke you could breathe. Like it wasn't like you were breathing campfire smoke and he would blow um, the smoke on you and he'd bless you. Um, he, at that point, my wife was about maybe at the time that my, my, old, my ex-wife was about maybe seven months pregnant huge. And she came up to him and he was like blessing her. And he said to me, two, two really cool things. So the first thing he said, that was really cool. He said to me, Ali, your um, daughter is going to be beautiful. And I'm like, I know that's great. We don't know whether it's a boy or a girl. He said, no, I just told you your daughter will be beautiful. I'm like, okay. You know, you could dismiss that. Right. Sure. The other thing that he did was then at the end we were meditating and I swear to you, I mean, it might, it might just be my mind, but I could hear him in my head and then I could see my daughter in being born. And I knew from that moment on, she was going to be a girl. Like I, we did, I didn't have a question in my mind and she turned out to be a girl. But the weird thing was the vision that I had, um, it was her, I could see her face and that's who she was. Like when she was born, the exact face. Um, then he went on to say to my ex, uh, you need to go to the hospital and get checked out. And, um, we were like, yeah, well, we did it. We did the amnio and all that stuff that you do before the unborn baby. He said, no, 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 it's not about the baby. Baby's fine. Your daughter's fine. He goes, but I need for you to be checked out right over here on your body. Something's wrong. Um, the, two days later, we ended up flying to Bermuda and, um, and to my school down there to teach. And Janelle was feeling her, you know, washing up and she found a lump in her chest. That day when we came back from the vacation, it ended up being breast cancer. So she was looking because she was alert. He kind of sensed it. You know, people could say, ah, bull crap, you know, that kind of thing. But he, and, and that's how we discovered that she had breast cancer because she was aware because he says, I want you to have this checked out. Right. And um, another time, check this out. One other cool story. I was having a problem. A student of mine and I had opened up a school together. We broke off and I was very hurt. He was like my number one guy. And I looked at him as a kid and we ended up being on the out. So I'm at a Seagal Sensei seminar and he's like, any questions? And I said to Sensei Seagal, I said, uh, Sensei, I have a question. And he said, he stopped me like mid-sentence. He said, people, you know, this is going to happen. Just let it go. I'm like, okay. And then he moved on to the next question. And, and, you know, like, that's a great answer for anybody. Dwayne, stop, just let it go. And you're like, oh, wow. You'll either be like, he's a fraud or a mystic, right? Sure. So second time the microphone comes around and I get it. And I'm like, sensei, I have a question. He's like, Ali, I told you to let it go, right? Another round, third time I said, sensei. And he said, Ali, students are going to come and go. Your top student left and that's okay. He said, you'll get over it. Now let it go. Like he literally, clearly, clearly defined my entire story in my head without even knowing. So I'm like, wow, this guy is kind of like a mystic in some way. He's got some incredible intuition um, about, you know, uh, what's going on with people. Maybe it's just like, you know, feeling people out, seeing what's wrong. I don't know. Maybe he had me checked out, <laughs> you know, someone invested. I don't know. Um, but I've had some really great experiences with him physically. I mean, I've gotten hit by him and he's brutal. He's super fast. His technique is amazing. Um, incredible martial artist and, you know, speaks a few languages fluently. He was a chiropractor, a acupuncturist, et cetera, et cetera. So he's got a really extensive history in classical traditional martial arts from Japan. Um, so I, I liked him. I thought he was a great guy. I'm a big fan. I love what he says, like a lot of things he said on the video, too. Yeah, I when I saw um, Above the Law, I was floored. I, yeah. It was just a game changer for right. martial arts on, on film. 
Right. You know? um, it was quite interesting, quite neat. But uh, I'm, I'm with you. You know, you've got the, the different stories that float around and you wonder. Yeah. Yeah. What's true, what isn't true. And I'm, I'm sure that, um, you know, the majority of stories are not true. Yeah. Because when you're famous, you get talked about and you know what I mean? Well, let me tell you one more quick story. I'm sorry. This is the same same trip that I was with him. Um, there was a van that would go and pick us up and bring us to the seminar site. And then they'd go get him and bring him to the seminar site. So I said to the driver, I'm going, it's pretty cool. You know, like I'm still enamored by the guy. I'm like, it's pretty cool. You get to drive Sensei around. He's like, oh my God, what an attitude, man. That guy can't stand him. I'm like, could I ask what he did? He goes, yeah, I see him in the morning. I'm like, good morning. And he's always like this, you know, bowing and, and, you know, and I'm going, you do realize that's like, that's probably like the highest form of respect that he's given you. Like, it's not like he's ignoring you and blowing you off, but this guy wanted to vilify him because he didn't, I, I guess he just felt like, Hey, he was had an attitude. He was a celebrity and his story. And once I explained it to him, the guy was like, Oh, maybe, maybe he isn't being a jerk. And I'm like, right away, that's where he was going with it. And I was like, no, like if he bowed to me, I'd be honored and bow back. You know, that's part of his culture. He's Tibetan monk. He is a martial artist. You know, like there's a lot of bowing going on. You know, it's not an offensive thing. Why didn't he shake my hand? You know, I'm like, well, that's not, he's bad. You know, bowing is the same thing, even more so. So very, very fun, funny. Well, yeah, see. I mean, I would, I, I don't know that I would walk up to Chuck Norris and shake his hand either. It's just right. with those people, you don't, go to touch them unless they, uh, you know, go to touch you first. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And by the way, this guy was not a martial artist. He was just a driver. So he, you and I understand that martial artists would probably understand that, but he, he was offended by it. Well, I don't so, know. I've seen famous other people and I didn't go up and shake their hand. I mean, the, yeah. from Trace Atkins to, you know, on down the right. line, it's a bunch right. of different people. And, and I never once asked to shake their hand. You just don't yeah, yeah. do that. Yeah, crazy. Um, someone wrote on our post, they wrote, uh, Jonathan Stroud, uh, who is one of our sponsors from uh, from uh, Academy Kings, he wrote, what's up? And I, what's up, Jonathan? Um, and then he wrote, that's crazy. Could could be a coincidence, though. And he's totally right. It could be. It could be my mind leading me down a pathway because that's what I wanted to believe. That's how people like that's how priests sometimes in different churches knock people out right by touch, you know, because you you want to believe it so much, you know. Um, but uh, could be a coincidence. I, uh, but I tend to want to believe that he had some intuitive uh, type nature because I've, no. I've been around some magical martial art people There's and spiritual people. Well, look, I mean, I think most people believe that there is a spiritual realm. Mm -hmm. You know, now what path you decide to take and go down, you know, uh, your explanations of, of that spiritual realm are going to be different than my explanations right. of right. that spiritual realm. But I would say where, where we cross is, you know, we both believe that there's a spiritual realm, um, you know, because too many coincidences cannot be a coincidence. Right, right. Well, you know, it's anything like, um, you know, you want something and, you know, the spontaneous fulfillment of desire or, you know, that other book, I forget what's so popular. I read it a million Law times. Law of Attraction. Law of Attraction was another one. Um, and uh, it's it's got the red stamp on the book. I, I have it somewhere. But anyway, I, I, The Gift. No, The Strength. No, The Secret. 
the secret. Yeah, there it is. So um, like, you know, that basically is like sometimes when you want something or you manifest it with energy, um, it comes to you. Right. You know, uh, and, uh, you know, I, th I think that the more you look for things more op like, you know, when. You know, like when before I bought a Tesla, they were I couldn't I very rarely see a Tesla. Once I bought a Tesla, and by the way, of course, there's way more on the road than ever before. But now I see them because my mind is used to them. Like I could see a car, you know, ten cars away and go, "That's a Tesla." You know, like your mind is intuitively enough to, and tuned in to be able to see things. So, like you might have million opportunities. Remember that old story where. Um, it's a biblical story about God and the guy, the guy is in a flood and he's climbed to the roof of his house and um, the water's pouring past him and it's getting higher and higher. And he said, uh, God, help me. You know, I need your assistance. I'll only take help from you. Um, and lo and behold, on a canoe comes a guy and he's like, hey, jump in the canoe. I'll get you out of here. He's like, no, no, no. I'm waiting to hear from God, you know, go away. I'm waiting. And then, you know, then a, a guy comes in a motorboat and he says the same thing. And then the, a helicopter's overhead and they lower a rope and he pushes it away. And then now the water is almost at the roof of the house and he's like i believe in you god i i i trusted in you and and god's voice says i don't know what's wrong with you but i've sent you a canoe i sent you a motorboat and i sent you a helicopter what else do i need to do to get you to safety like you know and it's like you're not looking for certain things and you're looking for other things you'll never see it and by the way that's a cool segue with the martial arts in general, like I hate to say that a lot of people that saying that we use, you don't know what you don't know. At times, sometimes the obvious is totally uh, elusive to you because you just don't know what to look for and to see. Yeah. Right? Does that make sense? Yeah. Now, just to be just, just I, I don't think you meant it this way, but uh, the that, that story is not in the Bible. Just okay. a biblical story, like about God, I meant not, not, right. not biblical, like in the Bible. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, but um, yeah, you know, look, there's, I think we all would agree that we're, we're, we're a body. Mm -hmm. We have a mind. And I think most of us agree that we have a spirit. So there is some intuition. There's some spiritual knowledge in everything that we do. Um, you know, and, and obviously depending on what you believe, that's going to kind of dictate those types right. of things. And yeah, you're right. You know, if I buy a, uh, a, a red sports car, you know, what am I, what am I going to start seeing everywhere around is I'm going to start seeing that exact yeah. sports car, maybe in different colors. Right. I'm going to start seeing that more and more often. So that, yeah. and I forget what that's actually called, but that's actually, I mean, you, that's, that there's a name for that and it's actually, it's yeah. proven. so that's not a, a wish or a hope or a dream that actually happens. Yeah. And why wouldn't that, that, you know, I, I guess that through our, modern society we're fed so much negativity why why do we see negative in everybody right you know the same way that, media. Yeah, the way that guy that guy bowed to steven seagal or steven seagal bowed to him and he hated steven seagal because he bowed um you know if we're fed so much negativity how how could we have a positive outlook on life um you know so the quite the opposite if you feed yourself positive stuff and you read books and you're around positive people you'll start to see things from a way different perspective um, you know, with the law of abundance versus the law of, you know, of scarcity. Well, I like what Zig Ziglar used to say is, you know, um, uh, you can accomplish way more with a positive attitude than you can with yeah. a, a negative one. You know, and he, he, he said that a positive attitude isn't necessarily going to bring things to you, but you certainly can accomplish more with a positive attitude 
and then a negative one. And I'm paraphrasing what he actually said because I don't remember yeah. it verbatim, but that's that's really what he meant. Right. Well, you met a girl that I was dating, I mean, some many years ago. And it was like, you know, I, I had you talk to her about growing her yoga school. And um, it was funny, like after you got done with the whole entire thing on how to help, um, we're like, so what do you think? She goes, I hear you. I'm just not going to listen to you. Like, and I'm like, well, what was the waste of time? And the whole entire time is sitting and talking like you should have just stopped it. They should. She should have stopped it in the beginning. But it was like people don't want to listen. They're not going to here they're going to be in that negative mindset and live in that negative loop continuously and so so like martial arts to me if i could say that i've been privileged to see some amazing masters like i had a yoga teacher that was 122 years old when he passed away when i would sit and talk to him he would tell me things about the old days we're talking the 1800s when he was born you know he saw every technological advance in society there wasn't running water there wasn't heat there were no airplanes he saw that happen there was no wars that, that he knew you know that you know the world war one two three vietnam all that he saw that all happening um, and he would tell me things like, you know, there were yogis that could manifest things in thin air, reach into another realm and pull them out. And now, you know, whether you want to believe that or not, I do think that there's certain truth to certain things that have happened that we no longer see, like mystics or people who had very, very incredible intuition about certain things or people that were healers um, and things of that nature. But um, I think the more and more science starts to tell us that that's not true, we won't believe in mysticism. Like people that I know are uh, agnostic, I think as it is, where they're like, I, show me the truth that God exists. You know, I don't believe that there's a true God. You know? Or atheist. Atheist, right? Yeah. So, so like, I'm like, I know. And then people will say, well, look at the sky, look at the sun, look at your kid, you know? And like, so it all depends on how we want to perceive the world. I, so I, I gave a friend of mine a book. Um, it, it's, it's by Ray Comfort. It's called the God doesn't believe in atheists because mm -hmm. he said he was an atheist. Okay. And so he opened and I gave it to him for Christmas one year and he opened it up and read the first line and I'm going to probably botch the first line. But, but the point is when I finish it out, it'd be kind of funny. But the first line of the book says something like, you know, in order to believe that there is no God, you first have to believe in a God that you don't believe in in order to not believe in him. Right. And right. he read, he read, I don't, I, I swear he probably didn't ever read anything more in that book, but he, he read that, closed it up. He goes, that actually makes sense. And I go, it does, doesn't it? He goes, yeah. He goes, I think I'm agnostic now. <laughs> That's so funny. So, so yeah. So, you know, like, I'll give you a quick example. We'll go totally like it sounds like we're almost in a religious path, which I love. Have That's why with you and I, had a, I had a question about a student of mine who doesn't want to compete in the martial arts because he feels a competition. Um, it, 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 in his belief of religion, it puts him in a position where he feels like he's competing against others to win. His ego's in a bad place. That it's not that competition is not good for him spiritually. And um, I'm looking forward to having a more deeper conversation with him because now he's very frustrated. Because I said, "Yeah, but what if you?" Just do the competition to make yourself better. God wants you to be a better person. So what if you're learning how to deal with stress, become a better fighter so you could defend yourself and your family, yada, yada, yada. And I think that he's struggling now um, with because now he feels like, oh, no, I'm going to be led down this negative path. And in his mind, that's not good. So I need to talk to him about it. But we were talking about martial arts in general. And I was saying, like, we have to learn that we have to push our comfort zone. We have to 
force ourselves to go, you know, and work harder to be better um, in realistic situations or else we're not going to be anything more than hobbyists. Right. Well, and I brought up to you because you and I chatted about that this morning was the fact that, you know, what about Tim Tebow? I mean, he still he still put himself in competitions. What about Drew Brees? They're both Christians. He put himself in competitions. Uh, You know, the list could go on and on and on, you know, between sports individuals that are Christians and then, you know, everyday life individuals that are Christians. But yeah, yeah. So um, and I get what what, you know, the student is talking about. You know, uh, obviously, the scripture talks about Bible talks about, you know, the pride come before the fall. So I understand that you don't want to be prideful in in a bad sense, right. um, you know, with with the abilities that God has given you. But if you're able to utilize those abilities to uh, his glory, then I think that's where the shift comes comes in. If I'm, if I'm able to do that and, I, you know, I would love and not that I even said this to you, but I would love to kind of hear that, that conversation yeah. and kind of be able to yeah. be a part of that. But I don't want to make him feel like he's getting tag teamed, you know, one, one yeah. by a Buddhist, right. And another right. by a Christian. Yeah. I, I wonder like for me, like I'm born, raised Catholic communion, you know, a confirmation, all of that stuff. So, um, but I, I tend to lean towards non dogmatic Christian beliefs, but I, I love the Buddhism because of the Eastern philosophies and that kind of stuff. So I don't know what I am more of a spiritualist, I guess, but I've practiced Buddhism for a long time. Um, again, like with the martial arts, I was talking before too, like, um, I find that people have not like the martial arts with throughout the world has kind of gotten watered down slightly. So like when I would go to Japan, I would have these mini epiphanies being around my teacher and he would take me to different seminars to be around other Japanese masters. And I would see them do things that could be considered magical. I'm holding up my quote fingers for just the listeners that don't have video. And, um, you know, magical in what sense? He's not levitating. He's not like, you know, disappearing in thin air, but more like the mastery level where his ease of, of understanding the way he does things were just so magical, you know, compared to like a person. And, and I'll give you an example with my students. Oh, and also in that video with Steven Seagal, where he's teaching a front kick, right? Everyone in the martial arts knows a front kick, right? It's pretty simple. In fact, when Seagal said, hey, I taught it to Machida and to, uh, I think it was, uh, I forget the other one. Yeah, Silva. And um, these guys are MMA superstars. And one's a karate legend. One's a Muay Thai French savat guy. So they did adapted what he taught in the front kick and they were knocking people out with the front kick. So, but people are like, Oh, they, they bought the magic Kool-Aid, the Kool-Aid because oh, Seagal taught him a front kick now. But when you actually know what he's saying and you look at it, there's a very different way of delivering a kick. It's almost like there's a way to push the front kick. There's a way to snap the front kick and there's a way to push through on the front kick. Um, and, and quite frankly, people could go for 20 years without learning how to really get full power and, and, you know, um, penetration on the kick so that it would break a rib or knock someone out. I don't know why the world is so quick to dismiss technique where mastery is nothing more than taking this move and knowing that tweaking it just like three or 4% or two or 3%. And like when I do a wrist lock and I hit someone with a wrist lock, they hit the ground and people have on YouTube have said, Oh, that's because he's got a compliant. Okay. You know, partner. And, um, and then my partners, they're like, no, 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 no. That that's not really what's happening here. Like when I pop a wrist lock in on 98% of the people there, they hit the floor and I'll teach that in seminars. And sometimes I'll teach the move 
and walk around the room and they're right back to doing it the way they want to do it their way. They're missing the nuances that I just shared, which could take them from good to great, so to speak, or, or at least give them a different perspective on how the lock is done. And I wonder, like, why are we so quick to dismiss that and, and those little mastery secrets of the martial arts? Well, when he was talking about just the karate chop and I was right. watching him perform that, um, at, that's like totally different right. than what I've ever done. Right. You know, and the way that he's delivering it, yeah. And, you know, so in my head, I'm like, obviously, when I saw him do it, I'm like, wait, he's not even doing it right. And then I, I stepped back because I did that. I, I yeah, was yeah. like, what? He's not doing it right. Yeah. I stepped I step back and I'm like, OK, I'm just going to listen. And then now I'm looking at that going, wow, that's that's completely different. And that is yeah. that is what you're talking about, that that one to two to three percent difference that could make yeah. that technique so much more effective. Yeah. Um, when utilizing it. So I just thought that yeah. that was interesting, you know, yeah. in itself. And we have a move in our style called Hicho no Kata. And it starts off where we have, we're almost like in the karate kid posture. One foot is on our knee and we're balanced on one leg and our hands pointed to the opponent. And I ask my students all the time and I say to them, would you ever do this in a fight? And they're like, no, I'm not going to stand on one leg and stand there. And I go, you've missed the concept because it's really not standing on one leg. That's just the practice, but it's really a leg check so that they throw a low leg kick and you rate, you know how people in Muay Thai and karate, they leg check it with their shin. So it's a leg check and then a kick to the groin. And then you step in and you shoot though with the, which is like you, you said with Seagal to the neck. Um, and uh, so then I said, would you do that? And people are like, Oh yeah, I would do that. I said, but this is the balance point. Cause if you can't balance on one leg, how could you do a leg check? You know, like, you know, it's, so when people see things in their own perception that you don't know what you don't know concept, they're totally lost to what is really going on, right? And then they're, then the potential for them to learn even further is lost because the first step of learning the basics is no, is no interest to them. Right. Like, like I've been hit by Seagal. One, when he says hello to me, I, he used to come up and give me a slap in the face like an Italian dad would do. That alone is him. By the way, if I shook his hand, his fingertips were probably like five inches longer than my my hand. That's how big he is, you know, six foot four. Um, and uh, so you, have, uh, you, have, you have Donald Trump hands. That's what you're saying. Yeah, right. Well, <laughs> he's a big guy, too, by the way. I've been around him once. I'm I got going to, with the, the little and, and, yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, he's a big man as well. I got to shake his hand and he's large, too. Like I said to Trump once, I said, uh, I shake in his hand. I said, I hope the wealth rubs off. He goes, ah, why don't you just get back to work and maybe it will. And he pushed my hand away and then he went like this to me, like, you know, and he's being funny. But um, but Seagal would hit me and I'd literally get my my brain would rattle just from like a, a comfortable hit. I mean, he hit me once with a forearm strike, which literally took me off my feet. Like not that I went with it like I wanted to do that. He, that's how his flow of energy and power was. Um, so I, I feel bad at times for, you know, people that don't want to see the classicalness of the martial arts. Someone's coming to my door and then my dogs are nuts. So, so let me mute myself and you continue to talk for a second. Okay. Yeah, it's okay. So, um, yeah, I, I will say, and you can uh, rebuttal to this. Um, again, going back to, you know, watching uh, Above the Law, uh, and then the other films, um, especially in the beginning, were, were, were phenomenal, uh, especially, like I said, the fight scenes and those type of things. Where my disappointment is and where it lies is, you know, uh, basically, you know, him 
and, uh, you know, him moving uh, to be more in line with with uh, Russia. And I'm not talking just because of Ukraine, although that even amplifies it. But um, just, I mean, I understand. I shouldn't say I understand. I heard what he said with regards to America and, you know, why he, he, he doesn't like America or why he's fed up with it or whatever. Um, but I don't know that, that Russia is the next best uh, place to yeah. find yourself, if that makes sense. Totally does. And, and again, like, I'm not saying that, you know, everything that he does, I agree with and, and things that he says, I agree with. I'm just You're saying able to separate them. Yeah. I'm able to separate those things. And by the way, like, I, you know, I, I'll hear people say certain things and it will of course shadow or shade how I feel about them based on their personal beliefs. Similar to my student feeling like, Hey, if I'm going to be forced to compete, this may you know, it may hurt my relationship with the martial arts because it's going to make me not want to love to go to the school because I'm feeling torn about it. Right. Right. Um, but, you know, going back to like just understanding martial arts, I believe. And I again, I did an interview with Steven Seagal once for my newsletter way back when. And I said to him at the time and we're talking like 94, I said, um, where do you see the martial arts going? He said I, at the time, this is when the UFC was just kind of gaining popular, you know, becoming popular. He said, I see it in three realms. He said, I see it in um, in competitiveness and like gladiator type fighting like the UFC. He said, I see it in um, in sport competition where the martial arts have been extracted and it's nothing more than a, like when we had Herb Perez on and we interviewed him, he was like not happy at the Olympic Taekwondo gold competition where they don't even hit each other. They're not even working martial arts anymore. So he said the sport aspect where the martial arts have been extracted. And then he said there's going to be those traditionalists that are still holding on to the old lessons, the old values and the old um, teachings. Um, but that's gonna, he said, he does believe that those will eventually die off. And, and that's saddening to me because, well, and that would be, you know, that's your, uh, that's your, I, I was gonna say bread and butter. That's not the right verbiage. That's my that's, quest. My purpose is to not. Yeah. 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 yeah and you know what, like I, I'll give you another example. It's, it's kind of funny. Like, um, I had a parent once who was a real, real jerk and anything I said, he'd go against it. You know, like if I wanted to do something, he would always try to talk people out of being a part of what I did. Like, I don't know why he'd have his child in my school, but he'd always go against anything that I did. Like it almost like he was there. His purpose in life was to damage and destroy everything we we're about. So he had a pet peeve that he would always say to me. And I talked to him, I said, you know, reverence for your martial art teacher is very important. We've spoken about this on other, um, calls, shows. Um, and people don't realize that reverence is not for the person only. Like I revere you as a great person, a, you know, a Christian man, a good businessman, a kind hearted person. I have reverence for you for those things, but it deepens my relationship with you when I can recognize that. So like, for example, if I told my students, which happens all the time, do your wrist like this way, this is the proper way. If they really, like my teacher would say that to me, I would take that to heart. Like, oh my God, don't do it any other way other than the way Sensei showed you. And I'll tell you a funny story about why that, it's, it, that what he did, which is hysterical. Um, but, um, but if I really revered him and respected him and loved him, I would get a much deeper lesson because of it. 
Does that make sense? And if, yeah. if I was kind of like, nah, whatever, don't pay attention to him, I'd only be half in and I'd be getting only a third of the lesson. Because if I'm half in, I'm only getting a third. If I'm 100% in, I might get 75%, right? So I, I think that we don't, like most school owners these days, don't want to teach that. They're afraid to, to feel like, hey, I'm your sensei. You need to respect me. You need to respect the style. You need to respect the school. They feel like they're pushing an agenda that you should only get that respect if they want to give it. But if they're not taught it and they don't understand the concept of reverence and why they should be feeling a certain way, then how are they ever going to learn it? Like if we don't teach our kids that, how are they going to learn it? So I think that that's where the martial arts has kind of been degrading because we're taking those value systems out you know, the Mr. Miyagi's of the world where they weren't just a sensei, they were your family. They were like a second father. They were like somebody that you needed to go to when, you know, I've had students and you've had students that probably come to you and go, sensei, I'm struggling with, you know, depression or, and they couldn't talk to their parents, but they talked to us. And, and that's because they had respect for us and reverence for us. So I think that a lot of that is being lost and it's kind of sad. So, so here's the funny story uh, quickly. Um, my teacher uh, my buddy and I watched Friends. In Friends, Ross does this thing where he's taking karate lessons and he goes, unagi, unagi, which means like eel, right? Eel roll. So we were saying that in front of my teacher in Japan, unagi, you know, and he could hear it earshot, but we were doing it against ourselves as a joke from Friends. So he says, why you say unagi? So I explained the story and he laughed hysterical, hysterical. So we're at a seminar. At the end of the seminar, he says, unagi to the whole crowd of 250 people. And they are running to grab their notebooks, writing it down. He was so regretful that he said it because for like weeks, people are like, can you tell me Unagi and what it means and why you said it and why it's so important? And he'd have to say, talk to Ali. You know, he'll explain to you it was from show, some show, you know, it was a joke, you know, but people were so revered, they revered him and they want that one word in that circle of people because we were all very similar. We wanted that knowledge. Um, they were, we wanted to know what Unagi meant. It wasn't the eel roll. They knew eel, right? But they wanted to know the essence of Unagi. You know, is there a secret to it? So like that reverence could go a long way. And I think that that's one big thing. And I think instructors are afraid of it. They're, they don't want to feel egotistical. They don't want to feel like they're forcing it. They don't want to, so they don't teach it. Well, I, I, I think that that's partly true. I also think the secondary, uh, uh, thing is that the parents don't teach that concept to their kids and so it's right. foreign to their kids you remember growing up and you know it wasn't uh um you know jeremy and and janet that were living next door it was right. mr and mrs yeah. smith and yeah. you always addressed hi mr smith hi mrs smith you know, right. it's even nowadays where your people are calling their teachers by their the first names, you know, even if it's Miss Janet. Yeah. You know, no, even if if Klowski was a hard word to learn, you learn how to say yeah. Mrs. Klowski rather than saying Miss Janet. Like, you know what yeah. I'm saying? Yeah. And you know what, though? I think even in the school systems now, they're pushing for teachers to say their kids are student, not students, they're friends. Friends. Oh, no, that is. Yeah. I, friends. I'm like, no, it's not. And, and by the way, that who does that hurt? It hurts the child yes. because they're not, you know, you don't respect your 
father the same you were you know you act differently with your father or at least you should than you do with your buddy right you would never like think of saying like i remember once i was on a testing board with my teacher and we had just come back from vegas so we were very casual and joking a little and i remember saying something under my breath but people might have heard it and i remember letting the words slip out because i was in the casual mode but i was really you know should have been in formal mode and um he just grinted his teeth and I felt like someone poured boiling water over my head. Like the chills went down my back and he said, not here. Right. And I was like, I know, I knew sensei, I'm so sorry, you know, because it was like, I kind of got comfortable for that one moment. And then I realized I should never be comfortable, but it was that we were in comfortable zone for a few weeks or days or whatever we were there. So again, I, I think that martial arts, it, it's a sad state, I think, that in some regards. And, you know, technology and YouTube and all those things are great because I showed my students kata, like from the Olympics the other day on the camera, on TV. And they were like, wow, like they got to see a champion doing it. But then in certain regards, it's just like there's not that level any of, of, you know, a deeper level of understanding and respect, I think. Yeah. So like I said, it's twofold. It's not just the instructor. It, it's also right. the society that we're living in, especially as Americans. Yeah. So, we're so, so narcissistic. Do you believe though that like parent, I, I don't believe, but do you, what's your thoughts do, that parents don't want their kids to be respectful and courteous. And I think that society has dumbed that down to the point where that they don't know how to get their kid. That's why I think they put them in our martial arts schools. And then they get this kind of like hybrid version of respect. Like it's all about, uh, you know, uh, self, self-esteem and self-confidence. And it's through these like, you know, chants and sayings, but they're not going through the, the physical portion. Right. So they, they lose it. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I don't disagree with that. I, but I also think that uh, some of these parents aren't equipped to be able to, follow up with what we're instilling anyways they don't right. have the um they don't have the knowledge the tools the um the patience to tell yeah. the over and over and over and over you know and i i mean I, I kind of introduced that to my storm team i think it was last week um i said i saw you this one storm team member let's just call him john i said i saw you john have to repeat yourself a few different times to Joey before he actually got it. He's like, yeah. Right. And then I said, I saw the frustration on your face. Yeah. I go, you can't let, I, I go, do you know how many years I've been teaching? Right. Said, no, sir. I said, this is how many of the years I've been teaching. I said, I, I, I've, I've said that same phrase that you just said. Yeah. To thousands of people over and over and over. Right. But I've always had to say it with a smiling face and yeah. I've always had to say it over and over again. I said, because your audience, I said, you know who your audience is? And he's like, no, sir. He said, all those parents out there that are watching you that can yeah. face. Yeah. And he's like, oh. I go, so you're not just, and what you did, what you said was correct. The correction was done correctly. I mean, your approach was done correctly, except for afterwards when you turned around and kind of gave that look. Yeah. And unfortunately, you were facing the audience when you did that. Yeah. Now, wonderful that the student didn't see it, but not wonderful that all the parents got to see it. Right. He's like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. And so um, 
I bring that up because I don't know that parents are willing to one say things over and over and over and over two understand that, that that's what you have to do with kids. You've got to repeat, you got to, you got to repeat, you got to repeat, you got to repeat. You have to award proximate success, right? It's not just about saying, man, you screwed that up. I told you to do X, Y, and Z. No, right. you see the good that they did and go, man, you know what? If I had to give you a grade out of a hundred percent, you know, what do you, what do you think? You know, how do you think, like I would turn them. How do you think you did? Right. And then they would say, oh, yeah, I did about 75% and go, you know what? I'm pretty close with you on that. Um, I would say more like 65%. Here's the 65% yeah. that you, you did correctly. Now the other percentage, what can you improve on? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then, all right, now go and do it. Like, I mean, that's it. And then follow up to inspect what you expect, make sure yeah. that it was done. I don't know that parents are equipped to do that, nor do they have the patience or the focus I'm holding right. up my phone right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even the parents are so engaged in their own devices right. that they're not paying attention to what's going on. Well, I had, I just had um, a, a free month with two twin brothers that came in for the entire month. This is their last week. I approached the mom, never once met the mom. They have a very beautiful au pair that comes in that brings her in. It's a young woman. And that, that's, she's like, yo, we love, we love the program. The kids love the program. I just asked the mom if she'd like to commit to the program. Never met her. She's not stepped foot in my school, not seen the kids work, unless maybe she did it on Zoom that I don't know about. Um, but then, uh, and then I said, Oh, do you want to get involved? She's like, well, how much is it? I, I mean, I, I said to her, I said, we sent out like 10 emails with all the explanations. Oh yeah. I didn't get a chance to read them. She's just too busy to do anything. And then she says, yeah, well, we take off for the entire summer and we're running around. I said, okay. She goes, can we just do month to month? I go, no, that was in the emails that I sent you. This is a commitment type program. Oh yeah. I don't think then we'll be continuing. And like for her, there's nothing invested because she didn't see what we've been doing. Like, and now the kids are doing so well. And I, I almost wanted to say, why, why did you waste my time? Like why bother? But of course it's a free month, but there's no obligation. But I look at that and I go like, man, what a huge waste of time, buddy. High five. You're awesome. You're doing great. You know, teach them, make sure they got it right. And then boom, done. Like the value that they put on what our service or what we're teaching is very minimal you know, to, to what I believe it is, or if they knew what we did, what they would believe it was. Right. But they didn't take right. the time to engage. Yeah. But you, you know what? You took time to invest into those kids. You don't yeah. know what's going to stick and you know, what's going to stay. Right. But then also yeah. uh, the lady that brought them, she might be a big advocate for you and go, Oh right. yeah, you want your martial the kids going to a martial arts. This is the price. Right. You, go. Right. And now, you know, my boss didn't sign her kids up there, but, but it right. wasn't, wasn't you know i don't think it was because of anything that they didn't do in fact right they went above right. and beyond like so yeah. no i get it thank you for pointing that out because i do you know you tend to sometimes get a little frustrated um and yeah I, I do it because i do it but at the same time you know when you look at that and you go like wow it could have been two more kids that could have been changing their lives but the parents are so disengaged so it's just really in reference to your comment about like they're on their phone. They're too busy. You know, they're, they're, you know, they don't really get anything out of it. Right. Which is amazing to me. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it's funny. Like we're in a state right now where I think that the martial arts is slowly degrading. Although it's not that it's bad because it's amazing. The martial arts in general, I just think the traditions and the nuances and the, and when I say traditions, the, 
where the stuff was invented. You know, I think that, you know, people might think because they're modernizing what was done, that they're making it better. But in time, at times they're not like our society we're, we've modernized. So we call Mr. Our neighbors instead of Mr. and Mrs. Jones, they're like, you know, Jack and, and Janet. Like, yeah, it's the modern way. Is it the right way? I think those old value systems are being lost. You know, I think that we're, we're, our society is moving in a direction where right now we're looking at people, they don't have any real set, not, and I say people, it's not a broad thing, but people don't, those people that don't have a broad sense of respect, like that's why they talk to cops the way they do. That's why they'll go in and steal, like they have no fear whatsoever they walk into a store with a shopping bag as long as they steal under $900 they're allowed to walk out and they're not going to get arrested right like there are people who will hit a woman um, a guy with no question not even like a spousal abuse but like just a guy gets in an argument with a woman and like starts beating her up MMA style and I'm like that I would have if that was in my day I don't know about your day and people guys found out that I did that they would have beat me up like it wouldn't have been accepted or like not just looked down upon by the by smart people, but there was kind of like an unwritten law. Like you do something like that, you're going to get a beaten, right? You well, know, I remember, really yeah, bad. I remember in high school, there was a girl that one of my friends really, really liked, but she was dating someone and he found right. out he was, he was physically abusing her. Right. So he confronted him right in the hallway and there was a fight. I mean, it just, yeah. You know? And you know, it's interesting, like there was a big thing over, and the try, I don't want to go down too much of a rabbit hole, but think about Will Smith and Chris Rock. And like, there was a oh, part I'm of me, out of here. No, yeah. <laughs> there was, was a part of me that said, like, I get how he acted, Will Smith, the way he did. And I get that what Chris Rock said was inappropriate. I also get Chris Rock's side. He was a comedian and comedians do things like that. Will Smith should have had more self-control. But I remember back in the day when I was in high school or junior high, if someone, like one time I, I had a very, a very a long-term relationship with a girlfriend and some guy pinched her butt and she came right to me and told me and I dragged the guy outside and beat the living crap out of him. Like, you know, like uh, and that's where it ended. It wasn't like all this whole craziness about it. It was like, okay, he did what he did. He realized what he did was wrong. He got the beating. I didn't pummel him into the ground and put him in the hospital, but it was an, enough for him to say, I got a bloody nose and a fat lip and maybe a black eye. And I'll never do that to that girl again. You know, there, I, I think that because we have no, we have protection against everything we do, we're protected by hopefully the police and we're protected by, you know, whatever things that are going on, um, we don't have to worry what we'll say and what we do. It, it, we just get away with it. So there's no real fear of repercussion. And the same thing goes with minor offenses. Be disrespectful to an adult. The parents are like, oh, I'm sorry that that happened. You know, like, what are we going to, they're not going to punish them at home. It's just like, don't do that again, Johnny. That was not nice. Meanwhile, like my mom or my dad would have punished me. I would have gotten stuff taken away. I might have gotten a whooping with a belt. Like, you know, it was a different type of world that we live in. Oh, right? it is. Yeah, most definitely. There's not consequences and, and we're not doing those kids justice. You know, and then against the individuals that are in school, like us, if that happens in our school, we can say, I'm sorry, you no longer can come here. You know, you're out of here. Right. Um, and we can make that decision just like that. But, yeah. you know, the school districts, they can't do that. They're not, there's, there's, um, 
there's just a bunch of uh, hoops that they have to, to run through in order to even get right. somebody into that position. And then yeah. you can't like, you know, kids would could like you'd never I would have never even I don't know why, but like maybe because I how I was raised or maybe the fear of what would happen to me at home after I did. Like I would be very careful about how I treated other people. And, you know, and when you have that fear, like. You know, um, a buddy of mine used to, we'd watch people at a tournament and they'd be doing all this fancy stuff and we'd joke with each other. We'd go, yeah, but could he really fight in a real fight? Like, you know, that was our ongoing joke with each other. So like, I wonder sometimes like, you know, people get this self-inflated confidence of their ability or, you know, even like their self, they're in, they're, they feel protected that they could get away with murder and do what they want. Like, so that's how our society is now where you're allowed to, not allowed, it's, it's frowned upon, but it's not, you're not going to have any jail time or get in trouble, you're allowed to steal up to $900 and walk away. They're not going to stop you. They're not going to arrest you. I had a student who's a cop in New York City. He said he arrested a guy with an illegal handgun, filed down serial numbers, right? Arrested the guy, took the gun away and confiscated it. And before he was done filling out his desk paperwork, the guy was waving goodbye. Hey, and he said, hey, have a nice day. Like it wasn't like you know, that it, they were fighting over it. The guy he arrested, he gave him his gun and, and he, but it was an illegal handgun. Who knows if it could have been used for a murder or a robbery or like, but, but like for, I have a license to carry a pistol permit. If I got caught, I'm sure I'd be in jail with my gun, even though it's licensed. They would, they would find some weird thing to put me in prison for. That's just my luck, you know, but um, it's the wildest thing. So I, I think that we, you know, going back to the martial arts, I think that a lot of the respect, a lot of the, the history and is being lost, you know, what, what we only have a few minutes left. What's your thought on associations? Like, you know, groups of associations, you know, the, whatever the FJY, you know, organization, I, that's a, I just made up initials, but you know, something like that. Yeah. Uh, I think they have their merits, you know, right. Um, unfortunately, the bigger your association, the harder it is to, uh, please everyone and, you know, control, if you will, for lack of a better term to get everybody right. on board. So, right. Yeah. That, that, that's a, that's a tough one. Like that's tough to do. Yeah. It's hard. I remember I'll go back to Steven Seagal when my teacher from Japan, I was training with him traveling to Japan regularly. And then I was also going to see Steven Seagal. So I said, since I'm frustrated to sensei Seagal, I'm frustrated with my teacher's organization. You know, he promises this or he says he's going to do, you know, whatever, whatever my frustration was. And Seagal sensei said to me, he goes, you know what the problem is with organizations? And I'm like, no sensei. He goes, they don't have any organization. He said, they're just collecting tuition. They don't give you anything back for the organization. They're not giving you monthly seminars, monthly lessons, a, a newsletter, you know, some sort of benefit. He goes, so why be in an organization? It doesn't matter. Right. You know, and I was like, wow, that was pretty, you know, uh, pretty deep. You know, you have to have organization in order to have an organization. Well, right? I know like our church, cause obviously it's an organization, right? Our church was, we for years were in a small little church and then we decided to big, build a bigger church and it's a humongous church now. And there was growing pains that happened, uh, you know, right. we switched over from, eventually we switched over from the, you know, the hymnals and, you know, singing the traditional hymns to, you know, the stuff on the screen and, and some, we started out first mixing the traditional hymns and the non-traditional hymns. And then of course you have the older folks, rightly so, were not happy 
Yeah. You know, with that. So we then made the earlier service more traditional and then the later service less traditional. Okay. Right. Um, until, you know, I, I don't want to say it this way, but until the older people weeded themselves out because they still had beefs against, you know, the growth that was happening. Right. And, and I think that our church could have done a better job on some aspects, but I also think some of these older folks could have done a better job on being uh, a little bit more flexible and now I'm not that age yet. I don't know how it is to be uh, flexible, you know, at that age. Yeah. So uh, take that in consideration. But even organizations like that, because we went from, you know, let's say, you know, 100 to 200 attendees on Sunday to, you know, 1,000 to 1,100. So there's a right. big growth that happens in how you organize and, and structure and serve 1,100 people is is quite different than, you know, right. I could, that's just like, you know, school owners that have 50 and school owners that have 250. Your organizational structure has to change. Your uh, communication has to change how you um, interact with your individuals uh, and the parameters that you put on, uh, you know, for, for, for your clients has to change. It's got to be different. You can't do the same thing you did at 50 that you can do at 200. There's just no way. Right. Yeah. And, and I, I remember doing a seminar years ago with... Um... APS or whatever member solutions when they became it. And I did a seminar called levels. Um, like, you know, you're at zero to 50 students. This is how you can operate. You know, you're very intimate and, you know, you know everyone's name and then you get from 50 to 75 and it starts to change. You start forgetting names and it's like to a hundred. I mean, there are different ways you have to operate in order to accommodate massive people. Like if you had a party with 10 people, you let them in, you sit them down. If you have a party with 75 people, a thousand people, it's going to be much different how they enter, where they leave, where they sit. So I think that a lot of times people misunderstand that and they keep doing business as usual. And then they can't grow past that level. Cause I had that, I would grow, I'd go down. And I grow, I'm getting traction. This is awesome. I'm back down until I started to put other ways of communicating, other ways of, of working and operating. Then I was like, oh, I could stick that next level. Right. So it's like a well, small school to a big school It's a massive, different communication network. Well, even your lesson plans and how you deliver uh, yes. the information has to change uh, a lot of times because I can remember doing the one one room schoolhouse Right. type thing. And then when you had more people, then I had to have an upper level and a lower level class. Right. Right. And then I had to split it to a three different level. So it was beginner, intermediate, advanced. So I had to, during the growth process, you know, just create different uh, levels or structures in order to deliver the information that needed to be taught. Right. Right. Yeah, it's so true. But I, we're, we're sadly out of time. And I think that, you know, this could be a whole not I could ramble on forever. I mean, I could talk about anything. And you know that poor, poor you that like you got to listen to me every week. Um, but, uh, but yeah, well, for me, it would, this would be a short podcast if I was alone anyways, because I think I would just say what yeah. I had to say and turn it off. Yeah. I know, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not that this stuff isn't good, because in through the conversations, there's other ideas that come to mind. Yeah. And yeah. I think you're really good at pulling that out of me. Yeah, thank you. And and so I suggest to martial arts school owners, like dig deep. I mean, look for the mystical stuff in everything. Look for the magic. And I don't mean esoteric, spiritual mumbo jumbo. That's just, you know, you know, that, you know, I, I want you to say like, I always tell my students, I'm like, if I'm doing a wrist lock and I have to fight to get it to work, maybe I'm doing it incorrectly. If I'm doing a front kick and it hits the person and I'm doing it with all my might, but 
it's not hurting them or it's not knocking them down or knocking them out. Maybe I could learn how to adjust my kick so that I get the maximum impact, right? It's like shooting a gun, you know, you, you could learn the grip, you could learn the format, you could shoot the gun and you could still miss the target. But if I've been with Navy SEALs and they've like, for example, I had an uh, AR-15 rifle and I, I'm left eye dominant. So I'm like, the scope is here and I'm trying to lean my eye over and I'm closing one eye. And he goes, he's like, why don't, yeah, he goes, why don't you just flip the gun sideways? And I'm like, you could do that. He goes, it's your gun. If you could hit the target, do whatever you got to do. So like just hearing that from an expert and now I'm like, wow. And now I'm like, boom, I'm able to sight in where I struggled the entire time because I thought the dogma, the, the way of was not correct way. And he's like, I'm, I'm a soldier. I've been in battle gunfights. You just turn your weapon, do what's good for you. Like, I'm like, Oh my God, that's pretty darn insightful. And, and that was an epiphany for me, which is so obvious. Right. So like we ask ourselves, like, why don't we look at things and say, how can I get this better? How can yeah. I get it to work? Right. And so, yeah. well, and it goes along with even just, uh, uh, was it James clear, uh, the, the, uh, Habits. What is it? Uh, uh, seven Habits of Highly Successful People or? No, 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 no. Atomic Habits. Oh, great book. Such Atomic a great Habits. Book. So, you know, and it's just, it's just, you know, one little, one little thing that, that, that 1% that changes it dramatically. Yeah. The same with the book the Upstream. Like I got one thing out of it that literally changed my entire life. Like, let's look before it happens, what could we put in place to not let it ever happen again, rather than always picking up the cleanup on aisle six, right? Like, you know, let's not put stuff there that's going to break, you know, that kind of thing. So I got an idea then. Why don't, in a future podcast, why don't we, we talk about different books and, and, and the things that we got out of those books okay. that have been epiphanies for us and have really changed the course of our life, of our business life or our personal life. Okay. Um, not that we're promoting the book, but, but just like, man, this was a game changer for me. Right. Yeah, absolutely. That sound? I love it. I okay. love it. Let's do that. All right, dude. So good to talk to you. I appreciate you very much. And I want you to know that. And I, I told you that on Easter, like our friendship means a real lot to me. And thank you very much for, uh, you know, being there for me and doing the podcast with me. So you're awesome. Keep up the great work and, and I appreciate your support. My pleasure. Well, I couldn't do it alone. I think you could, but I couldn't do it alone. So. Yeah. And, and by the way, don't forget, we have a new sponsor, which is Academy Kings. We have Spark membership. Um, that's part of our sponsorship. Your health coaching. What's the health coaching? It's ad, it's uh, it's just adhealthcoaching.com. Okay. And that's, and they could get in touch with you there. Right. And yep. then uh, and elite insights, which is my website company. Um, so uh, super exciting. And taking it to the next level. Oh yeah. I've been getting a lot more people that I've been coaching. Like I do like seven calls in a row from Australia to Pennsylvania to uh, man, all over the, all over the United States on a Tuesday. It's, it's exhausting, but at the same time, very, very uh, fulfilling. Helping oh, I'm sure. Someone. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, cool. I'll see you all soon. Right, sir. Have a good one. Thanks. Bye. See you later. Bye. All right. Bye. Just want to remind everybody, if you are uh, looking for past podcasts, to go to um, go to schoolownertalk.com, uh, schoolownertalk.com, and get all the uh, episodes there. Have a great day, guys. 
thank you for joining us for another episode of Martial Arts School Owner Talk podcast. This would not be possible if it weren't for the support of our amazing sponsors. Please check out Elite Insights for all your website needs. LeadHunterMedia.com, your online digital marketer and content provider. Academy Kings BJJ Growth Consulting and Management Group at GrowMyAcademy.com. SparkMembership.com, hands down the best martial arts software for school owner management on the planet. Get KarateStudents.com, a martial arts growth consulting company for all your systems. Add HealthCoaching.com, helping school owners create a whole other revenue stream for their school. We will see you next time.